Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 116. It is 116. You're back. You're back, back from your Perth expedition. I'm back from the beautiful city of Perth. This will blow some international listeners' minds. It's quicker to get to New Zealand than it is to get to Perth. Yes. Australia is a big country, and I knew that, but I didn't actually realise how empty it was across the middle. Yeah. It's just, it was beautiful flying from Sydney to Perth, but man, it's, there's just not a whole lot between both coasts. You would have got to see a lot of the sunburnt country. I did. The land of sweeping, sweeping plains. plains. Of rugged mountain ranges. And droughts and dusty plains. plains. <laughs> I don't know. So, Sorry, Dorothy McCullough. How was, how was Perth? Perth was amazing. It First of all, Perth was just beautiful. But what a phenomenal group of people we got to hang out with, like Kelly, Alex, and myself. I just I, – I walked away. First of all, I walked away with no voice. I did lose my voice on Saturday afternoon. But I walked away so grateful for having spent time in a room full of so many amazing people. You know, I got a chance to talk to people who I've – kind of got like slightly gotten to know via social media and stuff over the past year or so. People who I know have listened to the show, but also people who I have no idea listen to the show. And they started to share some of the ways that they've been listening and where they listened and, you know, the impact that some of the things that Kelly and Alex and myself have all said over the years. And it was just phenomenal. And, you know, everyone walked into the room on Saturday afternoon and it just, they were all there, you know, mm. they were all present and, positive and it was wonderful That's really great. wonderful yeah you got some beautiful handwritten cards from a couple we of did yeah. yeah some amazing hand knitted like reusable face cloths and stuff yeah. uh it was yeah it was beautiful but some of the cards man they were incredible mm. i had some tears when i was reading yeah, them so nice. thank you to everyone who was there and thank you to everyone who could come and have a drink with us afterwards and hang out and also to those of you who shared your stories it was amazing yeah, really amazing. I felt completely grateful and heartful afterwards. Awesome. How's this a simple year going? Wonderful. Good. Also, everything is wonderful today. Mm. I've got so for those of you who may not know, I'm part of a year-long simplicity teaching program, I guess, called A Simple Year. Courtney Carver of Be More with Less is the brains behind it, but every month we take you through a specific area of simplifying life. And I am hosting the January module, which is clutter, decluttering and how to completely not only declutter, but also rethink your relationship with the things that you own uh, and the reason that you own them and, and how to kind of slow down and get intentional about that. But aside from uh, myself, there's such an amazing host of people who are each hosting a month or two in some instances. So there's Courtney, there's the boys from the minimalists, the minimalists. Uh, Kate Flanders is there to talk about money. She's been on the show before. We've got Jules Clancy talking about food and the kitchen. Colin Wright is there to talk about travel. Courtney herself talks about work and uh, how to to create a simpler work life. It's this is Great. I think the fourth year. Yeah, it's it's amazing to be yeah. able to have access to all of those the people. Suite of, of slow living, simple brains. Experts. Yeah, exactly. You know, so every month we have a heap of lessons that you you can take your time and work on your own pace through. But we also have a live webinar where you can ask questions and there's a Facebook group. 
So the registration, early bird registration for Simple Year is open at the moment. It closes on the 15th of November, mid-November. So if you wanted to save 20% for next year, you can go over to slowyourhome.com and up the top of the menu, you can just see a link that says uh, Simple Year 2017. If you can't quite make the stretch at this point in time, we are reopening in January as well. So uh, this is not your last chance, but it is your last chance to get it at a 20% discount. So I'd love for you guys to come and join. Actually, there was quite a few people I met in Perth who have either done it or who have signed up for next year as well. So, yeah, that's what's happening at the moment. Some great interest in it, which is fantastic and definitely helps us as well. So, Jamie. Yes. Jamie from... Sorry, Jamie. Jamie. A really interesting conversation that you had about all about fermenting. Yes. Which I really want to get into. Like I... I see friends post on Instagram their pickled eggs and I want a piece of that. (laughs) I really want to get into it. So Jamie is the head ferment. What a cool job at uh, at Cornersmith, which is a cafe and picklery in Sydney. And Sabel Masterman put us in touch. And Jamie's such an awesome person. We first of all talk about her her life and how one comes to be a fermenter uh, and also what she did in previous work and how it was actually having kids that drove her to start to understand more about food and you know cooking from scratch and really buying into the slow food philosophy and then we talk specifically about fermenting what it is and and how you can start even if you have no idea you only know that you want to do it Mm -hmm. she's got some really good projects to start your your journey i guess and we talk about uh the resources books blogs that kind of thing to follow if you want to start getting into fermenting this is i guess this marks the beginning of something that i've wanted to do for a while with the interviews that we have on the show i love the interviews where i get a big picture of someone's life and the changes that they've made you know and and how that's impacted them on a day-to-day basis but i also want to start doing Things more like this, where I get to go really deep in on a particular area yeah. of something that interests me, but also other people who are looking to to try it. So we talk about fermenting in in detail as well. But Jamie is, I really enjoyed chatting with her. Uh, yeah, she's a she's a very cool lady, and I would highly recommend actually that you follow her on Instagram. She's at fermenting projects. I'll link to it in the show notes. But she shares a lot of how-tos and tutorials and things like that. And Cornersmith, the picklery that she works at, can be found at cornersmith.com.au as well. Awesome. It is. It really is awesome. I hope you enjoy the show. Yep, enjoy. Good, Brooke. Thanks. How are you? I am very, very well. We were just talking about why two people who live in Sydney decided to get on a call at 5.30 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) But never fear. Because we have to. That's right. Exactly. Little people. Working around our days. That's right. Exactly. So uh, thank you so much for for taking the time as early as it is to chat with me because there's a lot that I really, really want to talk to you about. You have a really cool job title which is that of a fermenter 
Can you yeah. uh, tell me a bit about what that looks like in your, your day-to-day? It's a funny job title. Uh, it's a hard one to go to a dinner party and <laughs> explain. <laughs> People are like, oh, can't you just be a graphic designer so I don't have to listen? Um, <laughs> uh, I, so my day is when it's the, the fermenting stuff. I ferment for a um, cornersmith in Sydney, which has a few cafes and also runs a pickery where they run workshops. And so I'm the in-house fermenter for the cafes, so all the the retail and menu ferments um, on the menus. Uh, And otherwise, I teach fermenting classes. So I teach classes in fermenting vegetables, fermenting beverages. I do a a miso class. And so it's it's teaching and, and making. How cool. How did you how did you come to that career? I mean, was you were you always interested in food? Did you did you study kind of food or, or, or culinary school or something like that? Or no, my um, I was actually doing a PhD in English literature. That was the last kind of major life focus for fermenting, and I I left that to to ferment. Um, I have always had a an interest in food, an enthusiastic home cook. My cultural background is Russian, so in a way, and I was always surrounded by fermenting. Like that's that's the method of food preservation in Russian cuisine. And I just, I, I just, I was interested. Um, Alex, who owns Cornersmith, she and I kind of went on a, a food skills, home skills sort of obsessive compulsive <laughs> um, rampage as we both ha- want to do <laughs> and I really attached to fermenting and a, a obsession went kind of professional I guess wow. that's quite a shift isn't it from a PhD in English, English literature to uh to a, an in-house fermenter that's amazing I love I mean I just love hearing stories about that were you were you you know dissatisfied with your previous kind of work or it was just more sparked by obsession with with fermenting itself no I, mean, I love I love um research and you know I I see actually some what fulfilled me in my academic work is the same thing that fulfills me in fermenting where I can I can it's totally immersive and I and it's research heavy in a lot of ways um I just I I suppose the prospect of becoming a full-time academic was it's not what I had imagined it would be and Mm -hmm. it's universities are changing for the worst I think and um I loved teaching when I was teaching but I don't love the admin and the bureaucracy and the politics Mm -hmm. kind of getting worse and worse so it was a big leap of faith but yeah I think it's really interesting to kind of hear you talk about the commonalities between your previous career and what you're now doing you know with the teaching and the immersive side of Mm. it and really kind of having to dig deep and, and understand what it is that you're doing. Like the medium is completely different, of course, but, yeah, it's really interesting to kind of yeah. listen to, to to you talk about it and see that that was a very intentional sort of shift towards what it is that, that 
felt you know more right and more aligned with with yourself personally yeah I think there is there's more they're, they're more alike in in ways than they're not and so that felt the felt there's the shift although it sounds dramatic and like like you said like the medium couldn't be more different there was something kind of like I know what I'm doing here I, I know this I know this headspace I know this yeah, I just I find that really really interesting. It just you know speaks to being quite tapped into to yourself and and what it is that is important, what speaks to you. And yeah, I think that's that's fabulous. I I, I really love listening to people's stories who have made a shift towards something that that's maybe more aligned with where they are now. And it's I just find always find it incredibly inspiring. I get a, a lot of opportunities to do that with the conversations that I have for the podcast, and it's very very cool. Yeah. So you're like you spoke about your going on a bit of a you know a home skills home cooking skills kind of bender with Alex. Uh, where did that sort of stem from? Do you have a like a personal food philosophy? Do you subscribe to the idea of slow food, or was it just something that you discovered and really fell in love with? I think um, together she was home with her babies at the time and I was kind of wrapping up my my mask my my uh honors year and we were you know as as young mothers we were very you know interested in what we were feeding our kids um I've always had some kind of relationship with food politics you know I was like became vegetarian at 13 and you know I was kind of like always had some some interest in that and you know just increasingly like you know we don't want to eat food that is unnecessarily imported so like you know we, we, we often both often tell this story in our classes where it started with canned tomatoes you know and um so canned tomatoes from Italy are just you know racking up food miles mm. but unfortunately the ones in Australia are just packed with um, preservatives and all sorts of weird ingredients. So we're just like, well, I guess we're just going to have to do it ourselves. We just have to learn to bottle tomatoes ourselves. So we went to Flemington Markets and with the kids and bought a hundred kilos of tomatoes because <laughs> we're like, well, one kilo of tomatoes isn't isn't much. That's not going to get us very far. So like a hundred, yeah, a hundred. So a hundred, which is like just ridiculous, like just boxes and boxes. Yeah. We drove back to my flat and the kids watched about a million hours of Dora the Explorer and we bottled a hundred kilos of tomatoes, which sounds like amazing and romantic. But it, by the end of the day, we were just like squabbling and half drunk and the kids had watched television <laughs> but we both got through winter that year without having to buy canned tomato and you know if you're a parent canned tomatoes often become the the um, hero of yes. a lot of <laughs> family meals <laughs> and um that was we were just like no this is actually something you know like people have this um misconception about what well, I find in my classes people don't know what is in season mm -hmm. you know and they're like but tomatoes are available in the supermarket in winter it's like well yeah but not without a heavy cost yeah. to you know how they have to be grown in winter and out of season they're economically unviable um and we're like no 
this makes sense to bottle your tomatoes for the winter. So it kind of it kind of stems from from that, from these concerns about how we consume food. And actually, there's a really practical uh, domestic way of addressing those issues. And I think it's that practical sort of domestic way that you mention that I find really interesting because I think people are put off by the the time that 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 it takes that we yeah. imagine that it takes. Yeah. Yeah. What I think one of the things that I'm discovering more and more about this whole kind of umbrella of slow living is there's a way of kind of forward stacking the work. You know, you put in this this work at the beginning and then you reap the benefits of it for a long time, for a whole winter, for example, you know, with, totally. with your, your tomatoes. So do you find that with a lot of a lot of the traditional home skills that you're embracing, that there is like the, the upfront work, but the, the payoff is quite extended and, it, you know, it lasts for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, we recently at Cornersmith had an author from Japan. She's American-Japanese woman, Nancy Singleton, and um, uh, I interviewed her we do these series of author talks at the Picklery and I interviewed her at the Picklery and in my research I was I was reading her most recent publication and she it's called Preserving the Japanese Way and she made this great point about um, the skills that she's just she's exploring in her book being farm food and she's like and she says farmers were busy people they have they have you know they they had to do these things because they were time efficient as well it wasn't you know, it wasn't that they just had a bunch of leisure time. And we, we really have this idea that, you know, it's this kind of very privileged leisure activity mm. to be making your own jam and bottling your own tomatoes, where these skills were were part of how people managed their day. And, yeah, like you said, there might be labor that is initially put out that is a few hours, but it's saved elsewhere mm. and that's because traditionally it it, it has to be uh, efficient and it's not I, I don't think we have any less time than people had before it's just we've got much more distractions like exactly it's, it just seems like it's you know it seems like I don't know why people would prioritize hours upon hours of Netflix over making something but they do and I think maybe that's just what needs to be examined rather than like time itself is finite. Like there's, there's still the same amount of hours in the day as there was before. It's just prioritizing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I think we are, we, we are busy and we are distracted in, yeah. you know, modern society. But I think we, we sometimes sort of equate downtime with like vegging out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they're two different kind of things. You know, yeah. you can you can have productive downtime. Like, yeah. You know, I find one of the most relaxing things to do is gardening. You know, I, I could garden for four or five hours and feel so re-energized and Same. revitalized. And it's like I'm expending more energy than I would during a work day. But it's it's sort of tapping into something completely different, and I think there's something in that because you you're sort of reconnecting with food and with you know the way that you nourish yourself and your family. Yeah. And like there's something incredibly grounding in it. Yeah. Do you find that the people who come through your workshops is there sort of a common realization or a common sort of sort of you know reaction that that people have? once they start to learn about, about what it 
involves and, and, you know, how accessible it is, I guess, to start doing some of these things. Yeah, I think I think people have that inkling that this that that what we've just discussed is the case, you know, that it's like, well, I could maybe I could maybe I could be spending my time a bit differently and my so-called, you know, like idle time differently. And I think maybe a lot of the time that's what gets them into the class. Mm-hmm. And then they realize that it's fun. It's mm. totally, it's pleasurable, but it will, they're learning something. And I just, you know, I think people are not as stupid as often, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the media wants them to yep. think they are. And it's like, no, I love it. I, you, you just see people are inspired, yes, but also engaged and motivated to like, oh, yeah, like I like learning stuff. And I think it's that that shift, isn't it? You know, just the the in the act of signing up for the workshop or in the act of doing, yeah. people kind of are able to tap back into that and and yeah. realize that oh yeah no no like I don't just want to be scrolling through Instagram or I don't just want to be you know binge watching or yeah. whatever it is yeah and consuming yes there is a shift away from you know and in my classes I don't shy away from that position make my, 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 my politics I guess for one of a better word of talking about being a consumer versus being somebody who is a bit more you know it's like it's kind of it's a radical act in a lot of ways to yes. to do this stuff yourself and that's a exciting thing to do to take that uh, bit of power back and and say no I'm not going to eat what you give me because it's cheap and convenient mm, exactly. and do it myself and that's you know that's that's a that's quite a powerful gesture it is I, I I always find it really interesting that I find myself talking about slowing down and you know like slow living as a countercultural mm. sort of thing to do. Because mm. in a way it feels like it's it's a going back, you know, a generation or two to where that was the norm. You know, we couldn't just pop down to the shops and get something that was out of season yeah. just because we felt like having a salad in July. Yeah. You know, it was it that was that was really what you absolutely had to do to get by. And why do you, and I guess do you think it's that there's definitely a shift in a whole host of areas towards that you know, making your own, becoming a creator rather than consumer, not just yeah. in food but in, in other things as well. Yeah. Why, why do you think that that's happening now? Do you think it's sort of a reaction to that, that whole dumbing down of, of people in the media and being told this is what you're going to do and you're not going to question it? Yeah, I, I do. And I think that's kind of across a lot of different demographics mm. as well. You know, I, I do – I get very concerned about, you know, the greatest you know, consumption of uh, convenience food is in lower socioeconomic groups. Um, they're really the ones who are really targeted. Mm. Uh, um, so it becomes, and I'm very, I'm very cringy about a lot of these food movements being a bit classist, you yes. know, a lot of people feeling like, oh, it's a bit bougie to go to your, your markets with your French basket and blah, blah, blah. And, and it totally is. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. <laughs> um, and it's a privilege. And But I also do work with, you know, like there's, there's a lot of community gardens in the outer western suburbs of Sydney 
where people are wanting to do this work as well. You know, it's it's not just it's not just the the quince crowd and the you know it's it's a it's a real desire across lots of different communities and and classes and and economic backgrounds and I think it is uh, I think you're right it is something about like it's a maybe enough's enough with with just being a consumer just being passive Mm. doesn't feel good in a really prolonged you know like a lifetime of that feels pretty pretty crappy well, I mean, I think people know that they have more to offer, which kind of goes back to to what you were saying earlier. It, people know that they they have the ability, they have the skills, and in some cases, they have the time. It's just being spent elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, that that you know, it it does tap into something maybe a little bit deeper and something that they they've been kind of you know thinking about ruminating on. I think it's interesting to see the way uh, this whole movement of food awareness I guess and seasonality and local eating and and slow food whatever you kind of want to call it it did begin as a you know a bit of a like you know thinking about the beginnings of the foodie culture I guess mainstream was tv shows that sort of appeal to to people who who love that idea of wandering the farmer's market with their basket and you know it was it was a real privileged thing to be able to do and I find it really interesting that it's shifted from that being just an experience that you know that we like to be able to do to something that's much more focused on health and you know nutrition and the way we're actually feeding ourselves and our families and that I think is where the real power of it is you know before that it was a bit of a trend and trends can come and go but when people are actually starting to feel the benefits the massive benefits of eating this way, I think that's where it's going to become like a, a proper cultural shift. Yeah, and I think, you know, much like, um, and you'll be able to like guide me on this, the slow food movement, the slow food in there, like, kind of like as their, how would you describe slow food as a, I suppose it's a, it's a group, uh, you know, slow food yeah. with a capital S and yes. F. You know, their deep concern with, um, particularly in Europe, their relation, the consumer's relation or the eater's relationship with, with the farmer, mm. you know, and feeling part of that chain and making, you know, you're nourishing yourself when you make something, but if you're making, you're making considered choices with the food you're purchasing as well, you're also supporting a whole lot of other positive, you know, you're affecting change. Exactly. With caring about the conditions of the farmer, the workers, the land. Um, that's not always an organic choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, the, the more you learn, and people get really excited about that in our classes where they get to be introduced to some of those ideas and feel like they're deeply connected to that chain and can therefore contribute something. I think there's, I mean, that's exactly right. You can, I guess what we were talking about before was this idea of, of food, you know, as sort of existing in this silo of trendiness, of foodiness. But when you start to examine it as a system, and yeah. you get to know the people who grow the food and the people who, you know, preserve or ferment or sell that food onto you. And you start to realize that 
where your money goes is actually going into yeah. their families and their communities. And it's really, it's quite impossible to think about it just in terms of food. You yeah. Know, it starts to become more of an ethical consideration mm. in a much broader sense than and just that the food. And that starts to weed out the, just the, the, the people who are on the trendy bandwagon. Exactly. Very quickly. Yes. Because, I mean, even classes you can see that they'll just kind of vague out, but most people don't. Most people are like, you're right. This is, you know, am I allowed to name and shame? Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if I talk about some of the conditions that the farmers have to deal with when they have contracts with Woolworths. Yes. You know, and and talk about uh, how Woolworths routinely rejects, has the right to reject huge amounts of crops if they're, you know, don't meet standards and their standards are, you know, like things like are they stackable yeah. and things like that. Um, <laughs> not, not how do they taste? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not how they taste. Uh, then they just get tilled. If they if the farmer can't find somewhere to sell them, um, they just get tilled back into the earth. They just mm-hmm. landfill again. People are just shocked mm-hmm. and and feel like no, I really I don't want to be part of that. It's uh, it, it it beggars belief to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, we saved a whole bunch of organic strawberries at Corner Smith um, for, because that Woolworths rejected because there was a little bit too much white on the top, and they were organic strawberries. And the farmer just doesn't get paid. I I, I just can't I can't comprehend that. It's it's really I mean like you really um what was a I can't remember I read it a couple of years ago actually bought it up in the mountains. It was called Supermarket Monsters and the author is escaping me right now. But anyway, okay. it's a good little read about the monopoly that Woolworths and Coles have over the uh, our, our market in Australia and it's it's kind of horrifying. You know, it's like a dirty little secret. People don't – but people are disturbed when they do find out that kind of stuff and um, – and that's that is those are the details that make this not a trend, you know, but rather a movement. Yeah, and people are concerned. Yeah, exactly. Do you find that that has shifted over into other areas of your life as well? I mean, we've spoken about how you really can't view it in and of itself, just as this sort of silo of, of change. But do you have you made other intentional shifts in your life over the you know? over time towards living this more ethical, more, I guess, values-based sort of sort of life? It's, it's brought me to gardening. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, it, def- it, it brought me to gardening, which has been one of the great pleasures mm-hmm. of my life over the last few years. And I think it has made me a better parent. Mm-hmm. It's made me deal with things a little bit more. Uh, I view I view things in a ho- as a whole. Yeah. You know, I'm a single parent. So I work full time. I'm, you know, I'm just amongst the the busy busy of the world and can get bogged down in all those details of daily life and stress and disappointment. But I guess I try to have I guess it, I, no I think definitely I've learned from my fermenting yeah. <laughs> that time is the secret ingredient you know and that 
that things change and you just have to sometimes wait wait things out and the the right the right change will come um not to say that I just like you know just sit around being a fatalist but I have a a greater appreciation for time being waiting and uh, allowing yeah I think there's a that's a big difference isn't it you know there's mm. a patience and a, and mm. a waiting that isn't a you know a, a, like a an idleness there's no. like a really yeah. big difference yeah, and that, I, what an amazing thing to have learned like, from, from your fermenting, but just in general, you know, what I, I think people get through their entire lives without necessarily understanding that. And it's just, I guess, tapping into uh, the, you know, the idea of instant gratification as well, which yeah. is what, again, tied into convenience. You yeah. know, what you've learned from, from, from your, your fermenting is that that doesn't that, that doesn't service particularly well. Yeah. And sometimes what you need is time. And I think when you can apply that to other areas of your life, it just takes the pressure and the stress off things. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. all you need is time. Having a bad day, sometimes you just need time. You know, dealing with, with like an emotional issue or figuring out a making a really a, like a, a heavy decision. Sometimes you just need time. It's yeah, yeah. I think that's wonderful. And uh, I'm similar to you that gardening has been a, a an absolute godsend for me because yeah. it's a sanity a sanity project as as much as anything else yeah and you can pour you can pour a, a garden is very generous they take a lot of your <laughs> a lot of your shit yeah <laughs> you can pour a lot of obsession and a lot of <laughs> neuroses into soil and it will in, be enriched for it <laughs> yeah, you both will be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, I wanted to, to, go, to go back to something you mentioned before which was this idea of waste you know you you, you rescued all of these these uh, organic strawberries from from yeah. being wasted and I can tell that minimizing food waste is obviously something that would be a part of what you personally do and then what you yeah. also do at Cornersmith like what what are some of the the simplest or the best ways, I guess, for people to start to combat food waste in their own kitchens? Well, I am a recent convert to what I – this has been one of the greatest tips <laughs> who came from uh, Sabina, who's the head chef at Connor Smith and kind of like our waste warrior. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, I come from a Russian family and um, we overcook, we over-cater for everything and I, it's just me and my kids and constantly I, I've got a compost and a, and a worm farm, but just like I was complaining to her, I was just like, but there's so much leftovers and there's only so much leftovers you can eat. And she's like, cook less. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? And I know it sounds ridiculous and it is completely laughable, but if you come from the people that I do where it's just like, eat, eat, eat all the time it's like actually cook less make less waste think of like again it's like about slowing down going you know I didn't I didn't slow down go what do the Mm, children and I mm. eat what do we actually eat how much do we eat of that and just really like okay no this is actually probably all we eat and I'm cooking it and I'm having an anxiety attack I'm like everyone's gonna starve it's not enough food (laughs) (laughs) But everyone's just, we were done. 
And the waste was my food, my veggie scraps, um, which went into the compost. And that has made a huge difference in my food waste mm. of recent months. It's just a, like a, a mindfulness, I guess, isn't it? And exactly. And that's what I, I realized. It's like actually pay attention, you know. There's an unconsciousness of it, you know, that we're all guilty of, even when you're just, you know, this is kind of the world I'm in every day. But there's always ways that you just go, well, where am I tuned out? What have I just done because I've always done it? Mm-hmm. And that was one. That was definitely one that I've just – and then that's, that has made – I cannot even – I cannot overstate <laughs> what a difference that's made. It's, but it's such a simple tip, but it, it makes so much sense. I was, I was like, I was, I was humiliated how simple no, it was. No, but I don't think it's that. I think it, it just makes it was, so much sense. Yeah, and so I think if you just if you start by creating less waste, you've got less to think about. Like, what am I going to do with all this? Yeah, yeah, and I think people maybe you know make bulk or they make double, thinking that oh, we'll eat it later in the week, or we'll, you know I'll use that for this. And unless that's a really intentional choice as well if you've planned out your meals and you think well I'll use double the rice or yeah and I do all that sure. I do all that but again it's I mean that comes down to just being really mindful it's mm. just like yeah am I really going to do that or am I just going to go tell myself oh if I freeze that I'll just make fried rice later in the week and then exactly. oh, it actually happen and you know I try and really scale it back and really be intentional I think that's a really good tip fantastic tip so for someone who's looking to get into fermenting, someone yeah. who's keen, really keen but clueless, yeah, what's a good project that you would recommend people start with? Sauerkraut. Okay. Sauerkraut. It's very easy. Fermenting itself in itself is, is actually quite easy. It's one of the oldest methods of preservation along with salting. So it's, you know, pretty tried and true. I would, I would get a cabbage. And it's all you need is cabbage and salt. And you shred a cabbage, you pound it down with salt until you release its waters, you pack it in a crock or a jar, and you wait. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll learn a lot (laughs) about yourself, about sauerkraut (laughs) in the process. You can Google it. Connor Smith's got a a cookbook and I've got a sauerkraut recipe in there but they're usually all pretty much the same mm-hmm. so it's it's pretty forgiving and I, I think you know it's it's fun it's really fun if you wait two weeks it'll taste one way if you wait three weeks it'll taste another way you learn a lot you learn how food behaves and you reorientate your way your your relationship with food because you have to look after it and um it's very rewarding I, uh, I I love the idea of, of experimenting. You know, yeah. I often part of the podcast is that my husband and I every month run through a slow home experiment. So we make all these changes one at a time and just see how they feel and how they fit yeah. in our lives. And it's it's fun. I mean, I've made some. We've both made some massive changes this year as a result. But I think there's something happens when you approach these things as an experiment. As a yeah. let's see what happens. You know, it takes away the pressure. It takes away the. It's got to be you know perfectness of of trying something. Yes. And you learn. You know, so I, I really love the idea of 
of doing something like sauerkraut, really simple project, but then just seeing what happens. And, you know, like you say, it tastes different after two weeks than what it does after three. And I think that's fun too. You get to engage people. And if you do have kids, I think that an experiment really appeals to them too, regardless of what it is. Kids like fermenting as well. They, um, because you, you, it bubbles, it has a life, you know, it's, um, it's yeast and bacteria there. So it is a, it's, it's a bit sciencey. Mm. Um, and if they're involved in a preparation, there's lots of pounding, it's, it's active and alive. It might start bubbling. You have to burp it. Um, you know, it's quite, it's, it's like having a fish or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's fun. And they, they usually on board. Yeah, I think that's and that in and of itself as well is is a wonderful thing to get kids involved in yeah. these skills from a much younger age than our generation ever was. Yeah. I was speaking yeah. of for myself, you know, we were never really taught those traditional kind of home skills. So if we can yeah. bring up our kids to at least have an understanding of them and an awareness of them, yeah. that's a hell of a lot more than we had, you know, growing yeah. up. So Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. What's your favorite vegetable to ferment? personally i love green tomatoes fermented Mm. green tomatoes they're really yummy outside of um vegetables i love making koichi which um you make is a yeast that you grow on uh, rice um to make miso and that's a kind of a a next level fermentation and and uh uh, life with bacteria um (laughs) It actually is my life with bacteria. I have jars and trays of <laughs> things. So, yeah, and you just, it, it, it grows and it's got this beautiful floral fragrance that is probably, um, yeah, my most favorite. Oh, how cool. It's just this whole other world that, you know, we, that unless we go out looking for information on it, it's, it's kind of a, an alien sort of thing. But I think people feel a little bit intimidated by the idea of fermentation you know what if I get it wrong yeah. what if we make ourselves sick yeah do you have any any tips or any uh you know any advice for people who are feeling a bit intimidated by it I think there's a uh Sandor Katz is kind of the authority on modern fermentation mm-hmm. and um is also a great a great political voice in in all this stuff that we've been discussing and his book the art of fermentation is a really great tool uh, from the beginner to the more experienced it's it's um we stock books at Connor smith and it's the only fermenting book i'll i'll let them have on the shelf it and so start there if, if, if you want to go and buy a book and, and really get into it. Otherwise, start with on, what some advice online. Try and gauge whether it's a reputable, mm. you know, it's not just like one of those weird threads of just, you know, <laughs> a conversation, opinion. And start really slowly. Start with a small project like Sauerkraut and trust that this is thousands of years old, mm-hmm. this method. And there is actually little that can go wrong in the diff the th- many thousands of bacteria and yeast that are on the planet um there's only a few that are pathogens mm-hmm. the rest of them have actually kept us alive and thriving 
So if you can just switch your head out of the, you know, the germ war kind of model of the last few generations, there's very little to be afraid of. That's actually a really good point because it was always like, bacteria is a bad word. Yeah. In, you know, yeah. in modern day society, we have antibacterial everything, oh, I know. which is proving to be actually not very helpful in most situations now. Yeah. Uh, but it's really interesting that that's probably where a lot of the fear stems from. Yeah. You know, what's this thing growing on my food? <laughs> well, you know, it's alive, it's food. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. And we're so, someone made a really great point in a class the other day and they said, you know, when you're standing at the fruit and veg section at Woolworths, have you noticed that you can't smell anything? Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. Again, like, you know, you're just constantly learning. Again, that's totally unconscious. It's like, But fruit and veg shops, like how, you know, we grew up in, and there was a fruit and veg shop, it, in summer they stunk. Mm-hmm. You know, they smelled of fecund, you know, like, and um, – and that's true. We just have no sense of the way food behaves, that it's alive. And um, because we've had a lot of the food we consume have been cold storage for months and months and months. They're kind of, you know, on their last legs. And um, it, it, if you just, it, it is about reorientating your, your, your relationship with food and realizing it behaves. And fermenting is a really beautiful way to, to reestablish that relationship. It's just a, a way to reconnect with the things that, that we're eating. I find that um, gardening is similarly useful in connecting you to, to that. And not only that side of it, I, I recently spoke to someone about the idea of you know encouraging everyone to grow one edible thing in their yeah. home, be it just a pot of herbs or you know one lemon tree in the front garden or, or whatever it is. And it kind of got me thinking back to – when I was first introduced to gardening, which was when I was a really young kid, my granddad was a, a gardener, a backyard gardener. And I still remember realizing that that plant is food. Yeah. Know? And it sounds like such a basic realization. And, you know, admittedly, I was a kid. But I think that we get through so much of our lives not necessarily understanding that the things that we buy wrapped in plastic at the supermarket, mm. they come from a, a plant that someone yeah. has grown. And I think. Anything that you can do, be it gardening, growing your own, or fermenting, where you start to recognise that connection with, with food is, is is not only positive for what you choose to eat, but just in terms of that connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it does escape people a lot of the time, doesn't it? Well, it's just, again, that unconscious thing. You know, we're on, yeah. a, we're on a roll, we're, we're busy, we're just ripping through the shops, getting what we need, and we don't necessarily think about it. So I think yeah. to anything that brings back that moment of mindfulness or intention or awareness or whatever you want to call it with what we're doing uh, is, is only going to, to be a good thing, particularly in the long term as we start to engage with the idea even more of you know what it is that we're eating. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. It has. It has. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for getting up. So I can't think of actually a better way to start a day. <laughs> no, I know. It's great. It's, you know, like the first five minutes of getting up so early, you were like, oh, this was, this was an interesting choice to make. But, <laughs> you know, you, you have a conversation like that. Yeah. It's absolutely all worth it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Who is that?
Hi, Puck Pass.